Chapter Four, Section Six, Part Two, of the Greek View of Life by Goldsworthy Lowes Dickinson. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Martin Geeson. Chapter Four, Section Six, Tragedy, Part Two taking place in the open air on the sunny slope of a hill valley and plain or islanded sea stretching away below to meet the blazing blue of a cloudless sky the moving pageant thus from the first set in tune with nature brought to a focus of splendour the rays of every separate art more akin to an opera than to a play it had as its basis music for the drama had developed out of the lyric ode and retained throughout what was at first its only element the dance and song of a mimetic chorus by this centre of rhythmic motion and pregnant melody the burden of the tale was caught up and echoed and echoed again as the living globe divided into spheres of answering song the clear and precise significance of the plot never obscure to the head being thus brought home in music to the passion of the heart the idea embodied in lyric verse the verse transfigured by song and song and verse reflected as in a mirror to the eye by the swing and beat of the limbs they stirred to consonance of motion and while such was the character of the odes that broke the action of the play the action itself was an appeal not less to the ear and to the eye than to the passion and the intellect the circumstances of the representation the huge auditorium in the open air lent themselves less to acting in our sense of the term than to attitude and declamation the actors raised on high boots above their natural height their faces hidden in masks and their tones mechanically magnified must have relied for their effects not upon facial play or rapid and subtle variations of voice and gesture but upon a certain statuesque beauty of pose and a chanting intonation of that majestic iambic verse whose measure would have been obscured by a rapid and conversational delivery the representation would thus become moving sculpture to the eye and to the ear as it were a sleep of music between the intenser interludes of the chorus 
and the spectator without being drawn away by an imitative realism from the calm of impassioned contemplation into the fever and fret of a veritable actor on the scene received an impression based throughout on that clear intellectual foundation that almost prosaic lucidity of sentiment and plot which is preserved to us in the written text but raised by the accompanying appeal to the sense made as it must have been made by such artists as the greeks by the grouping of forms and colour the recitative the dance and the song to such a greatness and height of aesthetic significance as can hardly have been realised by any other form of art production the nearest modern analogy to what the ancient drama must have been is to be found probably in the operas of wagner who indeed was strongly influenced by the tragedy of the greeks it was his ideal like theirs to combine the various branches of art employing not only music but poetry sculpture painting and the dance for the representation of his dramatic theme and his conception also to make art the interpreter of life reflecting in a national drama the national consciousness the highest action and the deepest passion and thought of the german race to consider how far in this attempt he falls short of or goes beyond the achievement of the greeks and to examine the wide dissimilarities that underlie the general identity of aim would be to wander too far afield from our present theme but the comparison may be recommended to those who are anxious to form a concrete idea of what the effect of a greek tragedy may have been and to clothe in imagination the dead bones of the literary text with the flesh and blood of a representation to the sense meantime to assist the reader to realise with somewhat greater precision the bearing of the foregoing remarks it may be worth while to give an outline sketch of one of the most celebrated of the greek tragedies the agamemnon of aeschylus the hero of the drama belongs to that heroic house whose tragic history was among the most terrible and the most familiar to a greek audience tantalus the founder of the family for some offence against the gods was suffering in hades the punishment which is christened by his name his son pelops was stained with the blood of myrtilus of the two sons of the next generation thyestes seduced the wife of his brother atreus and atreus in return killed the sons of thyestes and made the father unwittingly 
eat the flesh of the murdered boys agamemnon son of atreus to propitiate artemis sacrificed his daughter iphigenia and in revenge was murdered by clytemnestra his wife and clytemnestra was killed by orestes her son in atonement for the death of agamemnon for generations the race had been dogged by crime and punishment and in choosing for his theme the murder of agamemnon the dramatist could assume in his audience so close a familiarity with the past history of the house that he could call into existence by an elusive word that sombre background of woe to enhance the terrors of his actual presentation the figures he brought into vivid relief joined hands with menacing forms that faded away into the night of the future and the past while above them hung intoning doom the phantom host of furies yet at the outset of the drama all promises well the watchman on the roof of the palace in the tenth year of his watch catches sight at last of the signal fire that announces the capture of troy and the speedy return of agamemnon with joy he proclaims to the house the long-delayed and welcome news yet even in the moment of exultation lets slip a doubtful phrase hinting at something behind which he dares not name something which may turn to despair the triumph of victory hereupon enter the chorus of argive elders chanting as they move to the measure of a stately march they sing how ten years before agamemnon and menelaus had led forth the host of greece at the bidding of the zeus who protects hospitality to recover for menelaus helen his wife treacherously stolen by paris then as they take their places and begin their rhythmic dance in a strain of impassioned verse that is at once a narrative and a lyric hymn they tell or rather present in a series of vivid images flashing as by illumination of lightning out of a night of veiled and sombre boding the tale of the deed that darkened the starting of the host the sacrifice of iphigenia to the goddess whose wrath was delaying the fleet at aulis in verse in music in pantomime the scene lives again the struggle in the father's heart the insistence of his brother chiefs the piteous glance of the girl and at last the unutterable end 
while above and through it all rings like a knell of fate the refrain that is the motive of the whole drama sing woe sing woe but may the good prevail at the conclusion of the ode enters clytemnestra she makes a formal announcement to the chorus of the fall of troy describes the course of the signal fire from beacon to beacon as it sped and pictures in imagination the scenes even then taking place in the doomed city on her withdrawal the chorus break once more into song and dance to the music of a solemn hymn they point the moral of the fall of troy the certain doom of violence and fraud descended upon paris and his house once more the vivid pictures flash from the night of woe helen in her fatal beauty stepping lightly to her doom the widower's nights of mourning haunted by the ghost of love the horrors of the war that followed the slain abroad and the mourners at home the change of living flesh and blood for the dust and ashes of the tomb at last with a return to their original theme the doom of insolence the chorus close their ode and announce the arrival of a messenger from troy talthibius the herald enters as spokesman of the army and king describing the hardships they have suffered and the joy of the triumphant issue to him clytemnestra announces in words of which the irony is patent to the audience her sufferings in the absence of her husband and her delight at the prospect of his return he will find her she says as he left her a faithful watcher of the home her loyalty sure her honour undefiled then follows another choral ode similar in theme to the last dwelling on the woe brought by the act of paris upon troy the change of the bridal song to the trump of war and the dirge of death contrasting in a profusion of splendid tropes the beauty of helen with the curse to which it is bound and insisting once more on the doom that attends insolence and pride at the conclusion of this song the measure changes to a march and the chorus turn to welcome the triumphant king agamemnon enters and behind him the veiled and silent figure of a woman after greeting the gods of his house the king in brief and stilted phrase acknowledges the loyalty of the chorus but hints at much that is amiss 
which it must be his first charge to set right hereupon enters clytemnestra and in a speech of rhetorical exaggeration tells of her anxious waiting for her lord and her inexpressible joy at his return in conclusion she directs that purple cloth be spread upon his path that he may enter the house as befits a conqueror after a show of resistance agamemnon yields the point and the contrast at which the dramatist aims is achieved with the pomp of an eastern monarch always repellent to the greek mind the king steps across the threshold steps as the audience knows to his death the higher the reach of his power and pride the more terrible and swift is the nemesis and clytemnestra follows in triumph with the enigmatic cry upon her lips zeus who art god of fulfilment fulfil my prayers as she withdraws the chorus begin a song of boding fear the more terrible that it is still indefinite something is going to happen the presentiment is sure but what but what they search the night in vain meantime motionless and silent waits the figure of the veiled woman it is cassandra the prophetess daughter of priam of troy whom agamemnon has carried home as his prize clytemnestra returns to urge her to enter the house she makes no sign and utters no word the queen changes her tone from courtesy to anger and rebuke the figure neither stirs nor speaks and clytemnestra at last with an angry threat leaves her and returns to the palace then and not till then a cry breaks from the stranger's lips a passionate cry to apollo who gave her her fatal gift all the sombre history of the house to which she has been brought the woe that has been and the woe that is to come passes in pictures across her inner sense in a series of broken ejaculations not sentences but lyric cries she evokes the scenes of the past and of the future blood drips from the palace in its chambers the furies crouch the murdered sons of thyestes wail in its haunted courts and ever among the visions of the past that one of the future floats and fades clearly discerned impossible to avert the murder of a husband by a wife 
and in the rear of that most pitiful of all the violent death of the seer who sees in vain and may not help between cassandra and the chorus it is a duet of anguish and fear in the broken lyric phrases a phantom music wails till at last at what seems the breaking point the tension is relaxed and dropping into the calmer iambic recitative cassandra tells her message in plainer speech and clearly proclaims the murder of the king then with a last appeal to the avenger that is to come she enters the palace alone to meet her death the stage is empty suddenly a cry is heard from within again and then again while the chorus hesitate the deed is done the doors are thrown open and clytemnestra is seen standing over the corpses of her victims all disguise is now thrown off the murderess avows and triumphs in her deed she justifies it as vengeance for the sacrifice of iphigenia and sees in herself not a free human agent but the incarnate curse of the house of tantalus and now for the first time appears the adulterer aegisthus who has planned the whole behind the scenes he too is an avenger for he is the son of that thyestes who was made to feed on his own children's flesh the murder of agamemnon is but one more link in the long chain of hereditary guilt and with that exposition of the pitiless law of punishment and crime this chapter of the great drama comes to a close but the agamemnon is only the first of a series of three plays closely connected and meant to be performed in succession and the problem raised in the first of them the crime that cries for punishment and the punishment that is itself a new crime is solved in the last by a reconciliation of the powers of heaven and hell and the pardon of the last offender in the person of orestes to sketch however the plan of the other dramas of the trilogy would be to trespass too far upon our space and time it is enough to have illustrated by the example of the agamemnon the general character of a greek tragedy and those who care to pursue the subject further must be referred to the text of the plays themselves end of chapter 4 section 6 recording by martin geeson in hazelmere surrey